Shane is on vacation, but thankfully he's here to worship with us, he and Sally, this morning. Um, he's been taking us step-by-step uh, step through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we're not going to be in the Gospel of Mark this morning. Um, I discussed it with Shane, and um, we've decided we're going to look at a, an incident in the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, which only shows up in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, so uh, Luke chapter 10, we'll be looking at the section verses 25 through uh, 37. Uh, we often refer to this, recognize this as the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, I didn't entitle the sermon that way because the focus isn't on the Samaritan or his goodness per se. Um, and sometimes we get preconceived ideas when we see the word parable. Jesus doesn't call it a parable. And the, the man who he tells this story to, his reaction would suggest that it's more than a parable, that it's highly likely it was a real incident that really took place that this man was fully aware of. Otherwise, he might have contested Jesus and said, well, you're just making that story up. But let's take a look at this and uh, see what we can see in this relationship between Jesus and this lawyer and then see what the ramifications are for us. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, 
I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So here we have a man, a lawyer, an expert in the law. We might refer to him as a doctor of the law, putting a test to Jesus. Well, as we've seen numerous times in the case of Jesus, it's not a good idea. It doesn't always turn out like you might intend. And I think we'll see that's the case here. But here he poses this question to Jesus. What should I be doing now to benefit later? Suggests that he's asking Jesus for a list. You know, tell me all those things so I can check them off. How do I live this life, this temporal life, to obtain eternal life? Jesus answers his question in time, as we'll see. But contemplate for a little bit this juxtaposition of this life and eternal life. Whatever else anyone gets out of this life, they need to know that when it's over, they have eternal life, or else there's no hope. There's only one other alternative, and that's obviously eternal punishment, eternal death. So Jesus, answering this question, begins with putting it back on the lawyer. Well, what does the law say? The law is not an opinion. The law is recorded, God's word. The lawyer should know the law of God. That's his title. That's his position. So what's written? And how do you read it? What's your interpretation of what is declared in the Word of God? So he lists the most common, most prominent commandments. Love the Lord your God. Four ways. It's a fourfold love of God. And love your neighbor as yourself. Clearly, that's what the law is wrapped up in, is a connection to God vertically, and then a horizontal connection to your neighbor, other people. And according to Genesis 1, we're all made in the image of God, so in a sense, in loving God and loving your neighbor, you're ultimately all-encompassing loving God. And so Jesus says, yes, you've answered correctly in listing these commandments. So literally, Jesus says, keep on doing this, and you will live. <clears throat> Jesus doesn't mention specifically 
it comes up later. No one has ever done this except Jesus. So the point for the lawyer wasn't to get a sermon or necessarily even get a list from Jesus. We see here that he desired more than anything to justify himself in posing this test to Jesus. The scary part is no one can ever justify themselves. And this lawyer should know that, but he still tries to do that. Now, none of us would ever try to do that, but we can certainly recognize him doing that, trying to justify himself. It's impossible. But you can just hear in the lawyer's mind, even though he doesn't verbally say it, he's saying in essence to Jesus, of course I answered right. I'm a lawyer. I know the law. Of course I'm going to give you the right answer. <laughs> but I want another answer <laughs> to justify myself. Who's my neighbor? He wouldn't admit that, no, I've never done this. I've never kept any of this, these commands, and nor will I ever keep any of these commands, ultimately. He's looking for verification that who he is and what he has done and what he intends to do are okay. So Jesus tells him this story. Now, it's likely, again, that this was an event that actually happened. Maybe a few different details, maybe not. But for Jesus to make a priest, a Levite, and any other Jew, for that matter, look bad compared to a Samaritan would be astounding. People wouldn't like that, and Jews would be upset about that. But let's take a look at the story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Well, it's not an understatement. Uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho is 17 miles. The descent from Jerusalem to Jericho is 3,320 feet in 17 miles. Jerusalem sits at 2,474 feet in elevation. Jericho is 846 feet below sea level. So to say he was going down is he's going down. Now, just as a comparison, many of you have probably been on the Lewiston Hill, Lewiston Grade. Lewiston Grade descends 2,011 feet in seven miles. So, quite a bit longer distance, quite a bit more drop. If he was on a staircase, the person going down would go down 5,691 steps. Not that you need to remember all that. There won't be a test later. But it just gives the point that this was a descent 
The other thing that isn't explained, it's understood by the people at hand there, is it was a dangerous road, not only because of the descent and the distance, but there was virtually nothing in between. And the road went through a series of gullies, and there were places that were dangerous not only to walk, but also it was a common place for robbers and others to do things that were not done out in the open spaces where they could be seen. And this happens to be the case with this poor guy. He's going down. He encounters these robbers, uh, these perpetrators, these bad guys. They strip him. They beat him. They leave him half dead. The point of the half dead being, if he's not helped by somebody, he'll die. He's not half alive. He's not feeling better and going to get better. He's on his way to dying. So then we have a priest. Priests were God's mediator. They were the one who would speak to God on behalf of the people and vice versa speak to the people on behalf of God. Priest is going down the same road. Sees the guy. Goes to the other side of the road. Keeps on going. A Levite professional church worker in our culture. Same thing. Comes down the same road, sees the guy, goes to the other side of the road, keeps on going. Now you might come up with justifications for their action. Uh, they've been in Jerusalem. They've been doing their duty. Um, potentially they live in Jericho. A lot of those people like Jericho. Jericho is a beautiful place. Uh, it's referred to as the city of palms. It's a nice place to go. If you've never been to Jericho or seen it, you need to do that sometime and recognize why people would want to live there. And so it's likely they were tired and were ready to go home. They'd been in Jerusalem for however long their term of service had been. But then Jesus throws a real kink in the story, and he says, a Samaritan comes along on the same road. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on Samaritans, but if you wanted to look into 2 Kings 17 sometime, you can look at the, how the Samaritans came to be and where the animosity, the anger, the hatred developed between Jews and Samaritans. And that's really what we need to see. The Samaritan would be seen as a hated enemy of a Jew. And if the man, the victim, hadn't been half dead, he may have even resisted the help of the Samaritan out of hatred. Don't touch me. Leave me alone. <laughs> the Samaritan came to where the man was. He saw him, same as the priest and the Levite. Saw him. 
but he has a different reaction. He had compassion. He didn't see him as a bother. He didn't see him as an inconvenience. He didn't see him as an enemy. He saw him as a person who had need. He came to where he was. He saw him. He had compassion. He came near to him. And how near did he have to come? Well, he had to get real near. The text tells us at least seven particular things that he does. And depending on how you construe it, there could be some more than that. But he comes to him, he binds up his wounds. Well, how close do you have to be to somebody to bind their wounds? That'd be right there. Pouring on oil and wine. Then he sets him on his own animal, which means he's no longer riding. He's walking while the man is riding on his animal. Brings him to an inn. Takes care of him. Overnight. The next day, he took out two denarii. Doesn't mean a lot to us, but a denarii was a day's wages for an average worker. So, two days worth of wages, besides all the time he's taking to spend with this man. And then, when he gets ready to leave, he gives the innkeeper some more money here out of his two denarii, besides all the time and energy he's spending, and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him, and whatever more you need, I will pay you when I come back. So Jesus then poses the question to the lawyer, so which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? <clears throat> Literally what Jesus says, the Greek word there is, which of these people became a neighbor? He wasn't a neighbor before that. They didn't know each other, hadn't even seen each other before, most likely. But all of a sudden, in this encounter their neighbors. How is that so? So Jesus is testing the lawyer. <laughs> Which one became the neighbor? Well, obviously, he said, the one who showed him mercy. The one who behaved like a neighbor. Literally, the Greek doesn't say showed. He says he did mercy. He acted. He carried out, demonstrated by physically doing something, showing what mercy is. Now, did Jesus answer the lawyer's question? The question of who is my neighbor? Well, not exactly. <clears throat> what Jesus did with the story is to say, you're asking the wrong question. Not who is my neighbor, but who am I a neighbor to? 
What's interesting is in the Greek, again, the, the force of that is, is brought out with the word neighbor. In the Greek language, there's three words for neighbor. One word is the, the sense of neighbor in which it's one who lives in the same country as you. We would look at another American as a neighbor in using that particular word. There's another word which is neighbor like we generally think of neighbor, and that is someone who lives near our dwelling, near our house. So our next door neighbor or the cross the street neighbor or a neighbor like that lives in a neighborhood. There's that word. What's interesting is the word that is used literally means the near one. The person who is close to me at any given point in time. <clears throat> right now, some of us have neighbors here in this setting that are not normally our neighbors, except maybe in this setting. We might not be near to each other other times of the week. But in this case, all of these people came to this man on the road, saw him, and it's interesting, the two that you would think would respond, move away from him. They don't go near to him. They go on the other side of the road and avoid getting too close. And maybe even in their own mind saying, if nobody sees me go close to them, maybe I didn't really see him and maybe he's not really there. And so I don't really have to deal with that. The challenge for Jesus to this man is, what is a neighbor? The Greek word would suggest it's the near one. And the answer of the lawyer condemns him. It's, he says it's the one who does mercy, who demonstrates it, carries it out. It's not mere words. It's not intention. It's action. It's the one who demonstrates the fulfillment of the law. Romans chapter 13. The Apostle Paul writes to the Roman church in verses 8 through 10. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. <clears throat> so what's the conclusion that we see here? 
Well, there's an interesting thing to consider. All of the characters in this story, this event, have particular descriptions. <clears throat> we have the robbers, we have their activity. We have the priest, we have the Levite, we have the Samaritan. We can understand the nature of these people simply by the terminology that's used, the names that are given to them. But the man, we don't know anything about him. We assume he's a Jew based on the nature of the story and the fact that the Samaritan took action where the others did not. <clears throat> but he has no particular descriptions. For all we know, he's just an ordinary man. Or, or was he? Consider these words from C.S. Lewis. There are no ordinary people. Now, don't get any ideas and start looking around going, you're right, all these people around me are not ordinary. No, 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 that's not the point. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Uh, nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. Talk about insignificance. But, he goes on, says, it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Jesus talks similarly in uh, Matthew. Matthew chapter 25, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The verdict then, on our behalf, 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This lawyer <clears throat> put a test to Jesus, not recognizing, maybe he never did, maybe he became aware of it after this encounter, that he was talking to the ultimate perfect neighbor. Because God has come to his people in Jesus. And he came to be the ultimate perfect neighbor. To show full, complete compassion. To take our place that we couldn't take. God has come to be our closest neighbor. God has come to show mercy to us. He's come to us in Jesus, and God is calling us, if we are his people, to act godly, to act Christ-like, to be a neighbor to the near person, whoever is near you at any time, in any place. God is not asking us to do something that he has not and is not and will not do. He's asking us to behave as the people that he's called us to be. So, what he told the lawyer, he would tell us the same. You go, keep being compassionate and keep doing mercy. That's correct. Our Father, we thank you that in Christ you came and did for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. We were beyond the condition of the victim in the story. We were dead 
in our trespasses and sins. We had no hope of any sort of recovery apart from your divine intervention, your great love, your mercy, your compassion, your forgiveness and cleansing, restoring us not just to a life, but to a place of honor in your very own family. And you've called us to go forth with the truth of this good news, this gospel, and give it and be it for whoever you bring into our sphere, whoever you bring us to be a neighbor to. Help us not to go down the same pathway this lawyer went down, looking for ways to justify ourselves. But bless us with the recognition that it's only in Christ and his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his resurrection, his ascension to glory, that we are justified. And therefore, our behavior should exemplify that justification. And we should show forth the godliness, the Christ-likeness that you have called us to. We pray for your blessing of grace to enable us to do that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.